0: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Uh, Today, I'm going to be talking to Chef Dale McKay, former Top Chef winner, competes a new season of Bravo's Top Chef World All-Stars. Touring the world is Gordon Ramsay's right hand as his Michelin starred restaurants, the first Top Chef Canada winner and AAA Five Diamond Award winning chef Dale McKay is gearing up for a huge 2023 as he competes in the upcoming new season of Bravo's Top Chef world all-stars which is premiering on thursday march 9th which is tomorrow this time the chefs will return to the kitchen to battle it out throughout london before moving on to the grand finale in paris this epic showdown marks the first time the flagship edition of top chef has gone abroad for an entire season Uh, his culinary career began as a fry cook in vancouver he then moved to London where he began working at Gordon Ramsay's Claridge's, followed by stints and other Michelin-starred Ramsay restaurants in London, Tokyo, and New York. And eventually, uh, Chef Dale uh, returned to Vancouver to become the executive chef at Daniel Bullough Luminaire Restaurant. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today.
1: So nice to be here. Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, well, I, it's amazing to me that you could be on the show and then tomorrow's the big day. This is March 8th, tomorrow, March 9th.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. You know, it's whenever you do a competition like this, you know, you you live it, obviously, but then when, you, when it goes on TV, it's like a whole new thing. We get to live it all over again. Uh,
0: Mike, you know, I'm a social worker, so I'm a therapist. So my question is, how do you, like the head thing, I get it. I mean, there's cooking, obviously, and being the best, but then there's also the emotional stuff. How do you get into the the emotional, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to win, whatever it is, and the, the day before? Because now we are at the day before. I mean, is it terrifying, or is it something, oh, I've done this before, and, you know, it's, which I doubt, but... Yeah, um, it's a
1: great It's a great question, and I think it's a big part of competition, any competition, but especially what we do is, like, you know... I know a lot of great chefs that don't do well in these kind of situations and it's, it really is a bit of a mindset and, and I think you have to definitely be very competitive and enjoy that kind of pressure. Um, I feel like I'm someone that does better in life when I have pressure, whether it be cooking or whether it be, um, whatever it is, I like being under pressure. I find like I'm a better person and I perform better under pressure. So, um, it holds me accountable. So I think when, You know, when I was offered to go on the show and to compete again, you know, I went through lots of different mental kind of, you know, week by week, I was trying to build myself up and get into the competitive spirit and start kind of, you know, thinking about the competition and getting in the right headspace, because it really is a headspace going into something that's big. Um, You're going abroad, you're going away from your businesses, your family. Uh, You're putting yourself out there hugely, you know. Especially after winning uh, my season, you know, you don't really necessarily have anything to prove. But I feel like I always have something to prove, more to myself. Um, So it is a big mental thing, and when you're in the competition. Um, you have to stay mentally strong and not let kind of little voices come into your head and and kind of sway you. So it really is a a big mental game for
0: sure. So in that mental game, I mean, obviously the adrenaline gets going and that's a high for you. You feel really good about it. How do you feel in terms of like the other people that you're competing with? I mean, do you get, you know, I've auditioned for some film stuff and, you know, when I go, I don't really want to, have any kind of too much of a, a contact, say, with the other people who are auditioning? That's a different situation, but still, what is your relationship to the other chefs that you're competing with? You stay away from
1: them or I,
0: you engage? Yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, you know, they're, I they're feel at the end of the day, they're our colleagues, you know, and so this specific one's a little bit different because we're all either winners or have done very, very well. And so you know, the intimidation game isn't going to be quite the same going into, like, a regular season, like, say, on my season, I was pretty mentally aggressive in the sense I would put people on the spot and I would I would tell people that I was going to win the whole thing and I would do things like that, <laughs> which was kind of like a mental manipulation kind of thing, uh, whereas this time around, that wasn't something that I'd be interested in doing and everybody there was, was kind of a seasoned vet. And so... Um we all got along very, very well. I think, if anything, I was a bit surprised then everybody was just pumping each other up. And uh I think everybody just wanted to see what each other was going to do. Um, there's always going to be some friction because not only are you competing with each other, there's also going to be some language barriers, there's going to be some cultural differences, there's going to be all those kind of things. Um, that we're not necessarily used to, but that's why this season up there is going to be so great because you've got the best of Mexico, you've got the best of Germany, you've got the best of Poland, you know? And so um, it's a really, really is like a big melting pot of the best of the best.
0: Do you pick out or do you choose, do you have like in, in your head anyway, uh, like, okay, there's one or two people, one or two chefs that I have to look out for that I think that I, I could win and I need to be I'm, I'm yeah, aware.
1: I, I would say yeah, I look. I'm more focused on finding a couple allies that I felt like that my philosophy and my kind of personality, you know, coincided very well with. Because I think you want allies, especially when it comes to team challenges and that kind of stuff. And there's always going to be the people that you think are going to do very well and that you need to worry about. But uh, there's always going to be people you don't want to partner up with um, because you're just not going to jive properly. And at the end of the day, every partnership needs. You know, everyone needs to be a little bit giving in a partnership, and, and some people are just obviously not going to be that. So uh, you, I think, if anything, though, I, I more look for allies than, than worrying about the people that um, you know that could beat me kind of thing. I think once you start letting worries like that get, get in your head, you've already started kind of losing the game. Yeah.
0: Well, you've done uh, you've been on a lot of, it seems to me, uh, a lot of emo- emotional roller coasters. I mean, you're always, oh, if you, you uh, you've won, you're on top. But then you've also had some not so successful businesses, let's say restaurants. So that's a different situation. Yeah, right. yeah. So talk to us about yeah. that because you bounced back from that, whatever. Uh, you, oh, I don't know, two or three restaurants you owned in Vancouver, and then just they, they weren't working out. So how was that for you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, it's not a cliche when I say like I, I actually celebrate my losses a lot more than my, my victories. You know, victories are great, and I love goals, and I'm very goal oriented, so I always have a two year, five year, ten year kind of goal and try to expediate those. But um, my losses have have definitely taught me the most, and my mom and taught me very early on too. Like when you make a mistake and you, when you have a failure, you you just face it and just deal with it. You know, there's no real shame. Um, in 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 failures, you know, as long as you learn something from it and you grow from it. So, um, like speaking of my restaurants, I had two restaurants in Vancouver that I shut down before I moved back to my home province of Saskatchewan, and, and it was by choice. You know, I could see um, the numbers, the numbers weren't working, and so I chose to shut it down probably six or eight months before most people were have. To you know, um, to Salvage, knowing the fact that I overextended myself, I, I chose to just to kind of shut it down early and make sure that losses weren't as great. So um, I think, yeah, I, I've never been ashamed of, of failing. I think I think I'd, I'd be more ashamed of not trying for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I hear a lot of people, successful people like yourself, talk about you know when there's a failure, then that usually presents a new opportunity. It seems to me that's what happens, or yeah, what happens absolutely. with you, yeah. So you, and then you've gone on to a lot of new opportunities. Um, so now you you went back to Canada. You've been, I have to tell you, I, uh, the, um, there are a lot more, I, I'm, I'm in New York City and uh, there are a lot more one and two star Michelin restaurants, I would say recently in New York City. Uh, is there a reason for that? Many more than there were, let's say three or four years ago.
1: Um. I, you know, I think maybe the Michelin Guide takes a little bit of time to kind of... I guess it's been there for a while now. I, I lived in New York for about three years, or uh, two and a half years. I opened up restaurants for Gordon there, and I also worked for Danielle Boulud there. Um, so... New York, in my opinion, is like New York, London are the two best food in the world to me. And New York, I think, has always kind of been a big leader. Um, I think the one-star kind of bracket is where most people want to eat these days. Uh, I think going to a three-Michelin star is amazing, but it's, to me, even as a chef, it's something I want to do once a year. But I could go to a one-Michelin star every week because it's, it's slightly more casual. Um, you're going to you know, have, I think, probably more creative food in a one-star than you are even in a three-Michelin star.
0: And what about, this is kind of a new trend too, or at least as I see it, I don't know, but the, now they're having, you know, the eight to 10 course meals, um, mm-hmm. and, small portions. Uh, but by the end, you're so stuffed more than if you just had a, re- a regular meal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that taking off? Uh, it, it, it seems to in New York. I don't know, but uh, can you talk to it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a different I way think, of eating. You
1: know, things going in trends. You know, when I was doing fine dining in London and New York and Japan, we were all about tasting menus. We we're doing, you know, five course, seven course, twelve course menus and stuff. But I think that was more in a in a traditional French sense. Whereas I think now when you're going and we do it in, you know, one of our restaurants too where we do tasting menus where it's more sharing tasting and you might have two or three dishes being dropped off at once and you're sharing at the table rather than everybody having one dish then being 15 20 minutes between each course then another dish and so i think the structure of those menus are, are a little bit more kind of fast paced and hip i would say um in the sense of a little less formal formality of it and so you sort of to taste a ton of different things um but it's it's it doesn't take necessarily four hours which i think is a good thing
0: yeah. And wine pairing. Tell us about that. What do you, how do you, should one do wine pairing or just order a couple of bottles of wine that you like and you know you like?
1: I prefer wine pairing myself. I'm a bit of a lightweight, so I can't hardly consume that much. <laughs> so buying a bottle with me and, and my partner or my girlfriend would, would be tough. So I'd rather have a couple tastings of things than different things. So that's, we do a lot of wine pairings in our restaurants. We also do cocktail pairing, which I think is, you know, reasonably big as well. Um, I really like cocktail pairings too because we can do half size cocktails. So I can have four half size cocktails, which only, you know, ends up being two. So that for me is that's, that's, that's a good space to be in for farce consumption. It can uh, be a little bit more creative to, 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 to pair the cocktails. I think cocktails has a little bit more of an options to go. It could be like a tiki style. It could be very booze infused. It could, uh, have, you know, lots of different flavors to match to, not just one.
0: Next question, what's dinner like at your house? I mean, does everybody want to be invited to your house for dinner? I would, <laughs> it would seem to me they would. Hey, let's get an invitation from Dale. I don't know.
1: You know, that's what everybody's always said to my mom for years. And oh, you must <laughs> love having your time being a chef, and she just laughs because at the end of the day, usually I come to her house and I just want something casual. Or, you know, I want her to make me scallop yeah. potatoes and ham and asparagus. So uh, I, I would say I started cooking at home a lot more uh, the last few years, especially during the, when the pandemic kind of hits, that's when I kind of set my kitchen up a lot more. I, I've been a single father to my son, you know, his whole life, and so it's been generally just me and him. Um So on days off, we would have something casual, we would go to the restaurant to eat and stuff. So classically, I don't cook that much at home, but now I do a lot more as I kind of am in the kitchen a little bit less. Um, But I'm pretty basic. Like last night I had soup, ham and Swiss sandwiches and and a whole bunch of olives. So I'm pretty pretty straightforward. (laughs) I think a great sandwich can be just as good as, you know, a Frenchie flight or anything fancy.
0: Who's your greatest cook or your biggest critic? I don't know if it's your son or not or whoever eats with you the most, but uh, in terms of like your cooking or your – who – yeah, who, or do you never get any criticism from anybody who's not a professional?
1: No, I, I, I actually, i pretty good with criticism. I think overall, you know, I think uh, if you're not, I have a thing with with all the restaurants and all the chefs that I that I I teach them to do. And what I've always done is when I come up with a dish and when I'm testing a dish to put on the menu or for an event or something like that, I make it. Then I call over you know the chef, the sous chef, and my business partner Christopher Cho, who we've been together for fifteen years. He's front of the house, and I'm back of the house and um we take the dish together, everybody kind of gives a comments what things could be fixed or what could be better, then I'll try it again, and we'll taste it all again so um i am very much about you know getting the- you know everybody's input on it uh, I'm confident and i I can you know do it myself, but I think it's better when we're all involved and and it's it's a good humbling kind of experience so but I, I would say. The person I go to for the most criticism would be my business partner, Christopher Cho, because he knows me so well and he knows food very well. He knows what the guests want. So I think he's a very good person to to get that feedback from. And he's, he's had his other wine and mixology and stuff like that, too. So me um, mean, him kind of, uh, he, 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 there's no matter what would say to me, I know it would be in, 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 in good criticism.
0: What would you say is the most important thing to customers, the ambiance or the food?
1: You know, I think that changes from from place to place. Uh, I I think it also depends on what you're selling. You know, if if you're selling uh, a fine dining experience, then I think you have to give them everything. There has to be a great ambiance. it has to be great hospitality. The plateware needs to be nice, and the food obviously needs to be, you know, perfect. Um, if it's a more casual, you know, we own a ramen a ramen shop where um, it's more just about coming and having a really delicious helping of ramen and kind of getting in and out. So uh, I think you just go for, you know, as long as you're giving the guest what they're what they're paying for, what like, what you're selling to them. I think most of the time they're happy. Um, but I know myself, I could probably deal with bad service if it's really really good food, but I probably wouldn't do that in a in a more formal setting or if it's overly expensive. Um, But at the same time, I'm not going to just go back for great service and bad food. So, but
0: some people might feel differently. Uh, Well, I guess the question is like, what is if you can share this with us? What's the most difficult? I'm going to use the word difficult, but what was the most like difficult experience you've had in a restaurant in an evening? Because as I understand it, so much stuff happens. It happens in the kitchen. It happens with the guests. It happens with the help and the servers, and all of that has to be managed well. And I'm assuming sometimes it's not. So. Can you
1: tell? Yeah, did, it's, yeah. the restaurant business is, is a very—it's a very human business, and and so as humans we all make mistakes a lot, and and so it's just about essentially trying to c- control that kind of chaos, and especially during service things can go wrong. Um, I've had everything from like the hood system going down or the the sprinkler system in, in the kitchen part spraying because the cook bumped bumped the you know the safety switch. Things like that can always happen, and then obviously you have people cutting themselves or getting sick or or all those kind of things in the middle of, you know, a very high-pressure situation. So I think, you know, being strong mentally and and, and having the experience, you know, part of the reason why I went to work for Gordon Ramsay originally when I was quite young is I saw uh, a documentary called Boiling Point uh, that he did for the BBC, and it was by far the most intense thing I'd ever seen in my life, you know, in the kitchen and, and the way that everyone was being treated in the pressure that they were all under I thought to myself if I can handle that for numerous years then I can basically handle anything and that's I think it's the whole kind of like boot camp or army mentality is that if you're put under extreme pressure while you're you know in your training years that you later on will be able to handle a lot and put a lot on your shoulders and I think that's that really is true and so I think after being under such pressure that most things that kind of come at me that it's, it's usually a little bit easier to deal with um these days, I think it's, you know, just navigating guests, you know. I, I the, You know, the, that's always going to be difficult. Everyone's got so many different personalities coming in. Some are going to be really easy to go up, and some are going to be very difficult. So it's it's just a balancing act, and there's probably a good reason I'm not in the front of the house. I'm, I'm, I'm in the back of the
0: house. <laughs> Yeah, the front of the house could be very difficult. I'm thinking of guests. I'm thinking of myself. I, I don't want to sit here. I want to sit someplace else. I want to sit by the window. I mean, all those kinds of things. People come in. They think they should get the best table and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So anyway,
1: yeah, you're and and, it, and people often don't understand. You know, I think people think it's just a matter of just putting people in chairs and feeding them food. When when realistically, when you come into a dining room, uh, whether whatever night it is, if they're reasonably heavily booked. When someone comes in and says, oh, we'll have that table, we'll know like, well, that, that table is booked, we'll I go on this table. And they're like, you know, someone has spent 30 minutes creating this table plan and how it's all going to fit with timing and stuff like that. Whereas people just don't understand, they see free table and they, they think, well, why can't we sit there? And it's, But there, there's a reason behind all those kind of things. And so it's just a matter of the front of the house, dealing with those things delicately and having the right wordage to be able to kind of to get guests to understand without defending them.
0: So you really have to have an experienced person in the front of the house, as you say, negotiating all of this because this is uh, a whole mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean the training,
1: you- training is huge, you know, having somebody train someone properly and and again, especially these days, one kind of wrong word can kind of put you in hot water, so you really need to kind of really not try not to offend someone before it. You know, you can even think you're finding mean, them even using the, you know, using the word hello guys or hello, you know, things like that in the sense of using it as a group thing. So you really need to make sure you're training the staff to use the right language.
0: Yeah, I think that's critical. Very important. Actually, I had an experience yeah. like this and uh, I had a really a restaurant I go to in the city and I really like it. And uh, the waiter called me, I'm a baby boomer, and he called me young lady. And I kind of, I found that offensive because I'm not a young yeah. lady and Actually, we discussed it. We had a big discussion. He uh, listened to what I had to say. We went back there a couple of weeks later. He said, you know, I talked to my girlfriend about this and she said, you are so right. And I've actually talked to the rest of the uh, the, the waiters. We've had a big discussion about it. So I felt I helped to make some kind of a change. And, and uh, you know, he was great and, and the restaurant's good and we, you know, continue to go there. Yeah. But that's an example of what you're talking about
1: that's a perfect example. That's exactly what I mean. And, 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 you know, from his, his, from his view, he wasn't being, he didn't think he was being offensive or that that would be offensive. But obviously after having conversations, he realizes that that's not something that, you know, you feel you should be spoken (laughs) to that way, you know? So yeah, that's a very positive outcome.
0: Yeah, it was good. Uh, You know, we don't have that much time left, but I just want to know you went, I mean, you have the personality, obviously it just seems to me like it was, being a chef, a top chef, was is, is in your blood. But uh, last question, okay. F- you started as a fry cook in Vancouver. A fry cook doesn't sound like a top chef, obviously. So, what is a fry cook?
1: Um, well, I, you know, I dropped out of school when I was fourteen. I am uh, dyslexic and I failed a couple of grades, and I, you know, I, I really struggled in school, and I knew that wasn't going to be my kind of way, and so I left school very young, and uh, I washed dishes for a while in, in a place called Red Robin um which is like a burger and fries kind of like chain restaurants. Um and somebody didn't show up one day and they threw me a line and I was deep frying popcorn prawns and chicken fingers and from that day on I hadn't stopped cooking. So it was really was kind of really the bottom of the kind of the food industry. I think Subway Subway was my first first job. And then from there I kinda of went up and then for me I, I couldn't go to culinary school because of my education and so I just went from better restaurant to better restaurant and just tried to take big leaps each time and and it seemed to work out. And luckily, I had a bit of natural talent. And I think I have a bit of a kitchen mind, which is I bit more of a street smarts kind of, you know, view of things. And, and that kind of smell comes certainly well in the kitchen.
0: Well, it's a great story. And I hope you win tomorrow. I mean, uh, it's exciting. Uh, <laughs> Chef Thank Dale you. McKay, that's who we're talking to. But uh, Dale, so give a, where can we follow you so we know what happens tomorrow? And, uh, you know, follow your career and give us some uh, Websites to go to. Yeah,
1: yeah you, can, you can follow me on uh, Instagram at, uh, at Chef Dale McKay. Um, and then uh, my restaurant group is called uh, Grassroots Restaurant Group. And it's uh, that, uh, that's the website, restaurant, Grassroots Restaurant Group. Sorry. And then uh, obviously watch uh, Top Chef for All Stars on Bravo or on Food Network Canada.
0: I'll be watching you. It's great talking to you today Hi. and really good Thank luck. You so much. Great story. Thank you.
1: Okay, have a good day.
0: Thanks.